0: This is a download from Newstalk 106-108. To To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Off the ball, getting inside the game, on Newstalk 106-108. It is time now for Thursday Night Football with John Giles. He's with us in studio. John, thanks a million for coming into us. Pleasure all. Wanna talk about the Champions League first of all? Yeah. Roberto Mancini was in strange form last night. He was asked about whether or not it was his fault, whether he was to blame anyway. He said, yes, regarding Lescott, it's my fault. I didn't tell him to jump. Uh, for the header that he failed to yeah. jump for another was one of he being sarcastic I think he was yeah, I think yeah, that was, yeah uh, he was yeah, doing But yeah. well, that's pretty. not blaming himself exactly I, yeah I, I
1: did see a bit of the interview where he said well I didn't prepare the team properly that but but then if, if he does say the likes to have less got it's like saying well uh, I I didn't tell him not to get a tackle later yeah, you know? yeah like that that's that's being sarcastic yeah which is putting the blame onto Lescott. Is it hard to know sometimes if he's being
0: genuine yeah, or not when he yeah. says, "Oh, I didn't prepare yeah, the team He looked property. a bit shocked last night. I thought, Did he? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought he looked a bit shocked mm. after the game. It was, a, it was a dreadful performance when you consider the position that they're in. You know, it was a, it, like a must-win match, and like even in the first half, the, like when you're going out in those matches, first thing you have to do is to show the opposition you're going to get tight on them and doing that. And they were laying off them and letting them play, and I uh, actually outplayed them mm. in the first half. Although City went ahead. But in general play, they definitely outplayed them. So, like, if if you're not shown the big thing when you see a team playing, if they're in, not giving the team any space, they're really up for it. But if they're letting back and letting them play, and I can't understand that, and he 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 would have to take the responsibility for that as yeah. to why the team would start that way, and I think that's what he was saying after the game, or trying to say, or maybe hmm. saying. Hmm. Um, but I, you know, it, it comes, it does come down to the manager when have that type of attitude
0: Does it surprise you that they had that type of attitude yeah. given that they were whatever about all the money as a team mm. they achieved success last year they won the league they got mm. another crack at the Champions League Yeah, and they don't seem to be up for it No
1: Well it, they certainly didn't perform last night on, but you, you see it's hard to know what's going on within a club and I've always I might have said to you and probably listeners have hearing me saying it about clubs the structure has to be right from the start mm. the structure has to be that the, the, you have the board of control who give the manager a budget and the, the manager then is in charge of who comes and who goes now I don't think Mancini has that power at the club you know, we saw the row at Marwood at the start of the season he wasn't getting the players he wanted he wasn't to. Was, you can't you don't run a football club like that and yeah. ultimately it shows on the pitch because all managers have a vision of what they want and what, what happens is that the manager then gets the players to fit that particular vision. That's why over the years you had Shankly, Busby, Clough, all different in their ways. But they, they had a vision of how the game, the players they wanted. If you don't get the players, you don't get the vision. Yeah, The vision is not fulfilled. So I think that's what's happening with, with Mancini at City. And it, eventually it manifests itself on the pitch because the players know mm. it's not right. And I found from playing, if we ever won anything at Leeds, uh, it's very, very hard to win at trophies when everything is right. And it's nearly impossible if you're not all pulling together.
0: It's funny you say, you say, you use that phrase because Mika Richards said afterwards that the players are more comfortable with a straight back four but we will do what the manager wants. Yeah, well that's that's criticism. You would take that as oh, criticism? Oh definitely,
1: yeah. oh definitely. Like what he's saying is well the manager is telling us to do that but we don't really feel it's right. Mm. Um, you know, you get comments like that after a match uh, especially after a defeat uh, but that that's what I think
0: he said. Is saying. that a bad sign that Oh yeah, players are starting to criticize the manager. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Again, if you go back over the years of the successful managers, you know Shankly in, in, in his time, Paisley. Very seldom uh, Ferguson. You never hear a player criticizing Ferguson, do you?
0: No. I'm yeah. Almost sure it's probably never happened they while they have still out. Been playing for them. Yeah, be right?
1: because he's in charge. You know, he's really in charge of the situation. So, uh, you know, it, it's. it's, it's I, I, I think he's in a desperate position, uh, yeah. uh, Mancini. Because again, it, it'll be it's not the amount of money you spend it's how you spend the money yeah. uh, is the thing so people think well they've spent so many millions therefore they're entitled to, to win and like after having won the league like if you look at it last Liverpool in the old days when they won trophies on they'd always get two really top class players in the summer to improve them for the next season now Mancini definitely wanted players in the summer but he didn't get the players he wanted I mean he signed Rodwell and they signed Garcia he wanted Van Persie and De Rossi, didn't he? You know, that was, that yeah, was what he wanted. Yeah. And at the end, he said, I'm, "I'm not getting the players I want." Yeah. So there's, there's obviously a conflict between him and Marwood. There shouldn't be any need for a Marwood in the club.
0: Arsenal were also beaten last night. The first mm. home defeat in the group stages for eight years, which it's probably a good sign that they hadn't that that happened hadn't happened to them up until now. But mm. would you be concerned for them given the home defeat? Well, they still. I think they're still favours to qualify. Aren't they? Or, yeah, but is like, it, just in terms of the signs, maybe you, you always worry about these Arsenal teams that maybe they don't have the backbone.
1: Um, it's it's a bad defeat. There's no doubt. At ho- you know, you're playing at home. <coughs> you should be winning the match. or drawing the matches at worst. Um, so it, it puts them in uh, a more awkward position than they should be. Yeah. But I still think they'll qualify from that group. All right,
0: John, you are in studio. I do want to talk to you about your book while you're here because it's just come out. I'm going to spend a bit of time chatting about this. It's called The Great and the Good, The Legendary Players, Managers and Teams of 50 Football Years. What's the purpose of it? It's, pre- it's very good, by the way, I must say, first of <laughs> okay. all. I've, I've been reading up on it. I've been doing my homework.
1: <laughs> doing your homework. Good. Now, the reason for it, oh, no, when I was a young fella, I would know of nearly all the players in England, all the leading players. And most of them, I, w- I wouldn't have seen play. Uh, because there was no coverage in those days. so And I would have a, 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 an immense curiosity of these players. You know, Wilf Mannion, Reg Carter, Tommy Lawton. These would be the great players when, when I was a kid. And as I said, most of them I wouldn't see play. So I, I had this great curiosity to know what were, they, what were they really like. And when I went to England and got older, I did meet some of the older footballers, like Tommy Docherty, for example. And Tommy Docherty would have played with and against these guys and other people. And uh, if I asked Tommy Docherty about Wilf Mannion and he'd say, yeah, well, Wilf was a great player. What about Len Shackleton, who was the crown, plin- crown prince, he was called the crown prince of football, soccer? Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, well, uh, he was he was a great character. And I said, yeah, but was he any good? Mm-hmm. And I never, ever got satisfactory answers to my curiosity, mm-hmm. right? So to do this book, what I'm trying to, I'm trying to give the readers uh, uh, if. if uh, from hopefully they'd have a curiosity about an opinion on players and I'm trying to give them a fairly detailed opinion of Roy Keane or Bobby Charlton or the great players of, of my time. Mm. So, th- I, and I never got the answers. I never got, I never got, my curiosity was never uh, fulfilled. Do you
0: find sometimes that people aren't curious enough in that way, whereas in other walks of life, there is an attempt to analyse it that deeply, but maybe it doesn't always happen in football? Um,
1: well, I think you have to be interested in football to, to, to have the curiosity anyway. Mm. Um, like, it, it, like I know, if, well, I played football, so I was a professional footballer, but I know um, if I was reading, say, Jack Nicholas on, now I'm not comparing myself with Jack Nicholas, but if I was reading Jack Nicholas, I'd love to read Jack Nicholas what he thought of Watson, what he thought of the Gary Player, what he thought of all the great players of his time, and McEnroe, yeah, what he thought of uh, all the great players, the tennis players of his time. Uh, I'd love to read that so hopefully what I'm trying to do is, is give the reader my take as, as contemporary of mine uh, you know what I really thought about them as, as players
0: Okay well let people sue over that for just a couple of minutes John I have to take a quick break and we'll get into some of the specifics after these Off the ball on News Talk 106 to 108. We're going to be talking to Nicholas Roach after 8 o'clock tonight about the scandal that has rocked the cycling world lately. Right now, we have got John Giles in studio speaking about his new book, John, called The Great and the Good. There was one quote towards the end where you say, You're talking about great players and footballers in general, you say, You can't be too worldly. Because then you'd be too intelligent for the game to matter that much. And elsewhere, when you're on a, uh, talking about management in football and management in particular, you don't want to be too well-rounded. It yeah. seems to be a theme that maybe a lot of the great footballers aren't the most well-rounded human beings.
1: Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I believe that. Oh my Lord, I went through it myself. If see to play football, it's it's a game. Mm. Um, but when you play at the level that you want to play, well, I think you should be you, you want to play at. It's it's everything. And nothing comes before it. Right, and there's it's also a sort of a, a warrior element to it. And uh if you're, this is my take but anyway. If you're too warly or too intelligent, it wouldn't matter that much to you. You'd say, well, that, that's that's ridiculous. It's only a game. Mm. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, you're not, the people that I, I wouldn't have been a well-rounded individual. You know, I came from a working-class area. Left school when I was 15. Wanted to play football. I wouldn't have been well-rounded at all probably still not ra- well-rounded <laughs> now but players like my, my, my uh, experience with players in the dressing room over the years I mean, they never talk about world events and you go into the game at 15 oh, you leave it when you're 35 and you're still only 15 <laughs> it's an unreal world but it has to be to go out for a game to mean that much to you you know, if you want it, it's life and death when you're playing in a match and you're in the middle of. You want to win things and you're giving it everything you've got. Uh, you know, you, if you reward you, say you stop and say, well, what
0: am I doing? This Is for? there a bit of a distrust of those kind of players then by managers? Do you sometimes see young lads coming through and think he's he's just a bit too? Oh yeah. A bit too intelligent. Well, it would, they wouldn't say
1: he was too intelligent, but he wouldn't be committed to what he has to to do. They'd say, well, he lacks a bit of divil. <laughs> I'd, I'd say now, and I don't know the lad well, and there may be a bit Theo Walcott would come into that category. You know what I mean? It looks like he's, he's not a hungry lad to me. It doesn't mean that much. him. plenty of ability, but it doesn't mean, you know, life and death. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like we, we played, I played with a lad called Bobby Collins, who was smaller than me, a terrific player, Grace got a player. He was player. And you used, to, you used to have an expression, he'd kill his granny <laughs> to win a match.
0: Yeah. Well, that's
1: not normal. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? probably and not. And you can't be too, that's what the point I'm trying to make it. It's, it's probably I don't explain it too well, but you, you can't afford to be too normal. And especially in management, you know, like you, you if you like, to, for it to mean that much you, when you get older,
0: because it's so all-consuming. That oh, totally. I mean, if you look at matter.
1: Ferguson now. You know, Ferguson is is, is, is a great manager. Mm. But um, I remember a few years ago he was when he when he was going to quit. You remember he was going to retire, and somebody asked him, you know, what will you miss? He said, oh, I'd miss the banter in the dressing room. Now, when you get older, well, I can <laughs> tell you, the banter in the dressing room is juvenile to say. The least, yeah. you know, I mean, the last place I'd want to be yeah. now, at my age, <laughs> would be in the dressing room with the banter, because yeah. it'd be like listening to kids, play. and that's what that's what you are when you're playing. You're a kid, mm. but it, but you have to have this sort of childish, innocent, uh, innocence to go out to say this is this is what this means to me. You know, if you're playing in a big
0: match and you have to win it, and it's body and soul stuff. You know, you speak a lot about football intelligence and football knowledge, and I get the sense that you've always really enjoyed having conversations with teammates, Billy Bremner and others, just about what has happened, yeah. what's going on in a game, those sort of things. But mm. one guy who you never spoke about that kind of thing, interestingly, was Bobby Charlton, who yeah. you write right up there. Yeah, I don't think Bobby spoke to anybody about it. About the game? No.
1: We, we used to have an expression when we were having a few drinks about, okay, let's get the ball out. Well, Footballers don't talk about football all the time. On, oh, You know, it's amazing. You think but but occasionally now, after say in Europe it's been a match, we'd say well, we get the ball out. The ball out means you're going to talk about Really it's sort of intimate stuff in, in football in terms. It was Norman Hunter, Norman, you you would I think you're getting too far forward of that. So you'd have the ball out and you would actually talk about it. And Bobby was, was exceptional in them. Bobby was three years older than me and I idolised Bobby Charlton. He was, he was as you see in the book, he was he was a great player. But I had never actually had a conversation with Bobby about football. I don't think Bobby had a conversation with anybody about it. He did it. He was an instinctive, totally instinctive player, I thought. You know, he wasn't a knowledgeable Bob, he didn't. He, he might have analysed his own game, but he, but he, he wasn't. Uh, uh, he wasn't a general on the pitch. He just did it with his pure ability. He was quick. He was two-footed. He could dribble. He could score goals from forty yards. He was just unbelievably gifted lad. Mm. But he wasn't a like I was younger than him, when I got into the team. Like he wouldn't pull me to one side and say, "John," even when I played with him. Like I explained in the book, you know. He, he, when you he got kicked out against you, you balance up, and Bobby'd wander over towards you, you know. <laughs> Probably pushover, and I would be a bit probably pushover because you'd be balancing up. You know, f off, you know, leave me alone.
0: That that, that was Bobby. And whereas that, if I play
1: with Billy Bramner, I'd say Billy, yeah. pushover. I'd stay here, you stay over, and you'd be chatting all the
0: time. The Bobby Charlton example is very interesting because you rate him so highly because he was such a great player, yeah. despite lacking that yes. football knowledge. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of great players were like that,
1: Owen. Really? Yeah, a lot of players did it, did it instinctively, but they did it with their attitude and their ability. Like Bobby, uh, and I explain in the book, when I was at Old Trafford, when, when you're in a good position, let it go simple, let it go quick. A lot of times I was playing with Bobby and I'd be in a good position, I wouldn't get it, mm. right? And you, just when you're about to say, from, say Bobby, yeah. he's gone past three or four players, getting the shot in. <laughs> so he didn't need anybody else. When I played, I needed to, asked him to get up around the edge of the box probably well, we could just do it on his
0: own Yeah We spoke a bit on the show last night I mentioned we are going to be talking about this book and I picked out a passage about Dave Mackay Yeah There's uh, amazing stuff about uh, about Scottish footballers in general back then actually but Dave McKay and Billy Bremner is a famous photograph of them which yes. you might just tell us about first of all for people who weren't listening last night
1: it's, This was the one he had Billy, yeah. by, Billy by, the, by the throat Yeah uh, And uh, Dave, Dave was Dave Mackay was great Now he would have been one of those instinctive players I don't you know, I don't think he, he but he was great he could cover the ground he could tackle everybody all over the place and I think Dave unfortunately broke his leg quite early in his career came back and Billy by this time had taken over from Dave he, he was Scott, captain of the Scottish team and there was a clash and Dave got him by the throat and Billy Billy was sort of backing up on it you know But uh, and Billy would have idolised Dave yeah. McLeod, but Dave McClive this is only my take on it was you little so and so there's me I, they only got about 22, 23 caps. Yeah. And you, your little so and so, captain of the Scottish team, you know? Yeah. Like Dave was a great player, a bit of a bully, you know? Like a lot yeah. of players are aggressive, a bit of a bully. But it was great. Is that the story? That's the story, yeah. yeah. And
0: why, why it interests me was that in the same passage, many years later, Dave Mackay attends Billy Brenner's funeral. Yes. And what I'm taken by the idea that. It was then that you had a conversation with Dave McKay about his own career questions that you yeah. had thought about him, but you hadn't asked him years yeah. later. His old nemesis, Billy Bremner, unfortunately has passed away. The funeral's on and he's strike up this great football conversation. I'd never spoken
1: to Dave McKay before about football. I didn't know him. Actually, I'd made my debut against Dave McKay for Spurs. He'd just come down from Scotland. And what amazed me, and again, curious with Dave McKay, Dave McKay wasn't young when he, well, when I say he wasn't he was about 24 when he came down from Scotland. And he was an immediate star mm. with, with Spurs immediate star sensational from the time he came down and he only cost about 30-35 grand it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of money and what I was fascinated about obviously how did the English clubs over these years not and he played for Hearts who won the league and double I think in, in Scotland how did Dave Mackay not come down to England sooner than he did mm. and he was explaining to me he had a, he might have you think Matt was interested in him at Manchester United or so Matt and uh, he, he broke he broke his foot and then he came back and he broke his foot again, and people lost interest in him. <laughs> Maybe they thought he was he wasn't going to recover, which he did. And oh, I couldn't believe it. There was players gone at that time, uh, for like sixty grand, seventy grand, eighty grand, and Dave McKay comes down for I think it was thirty grand to Spurs, and they should have won the league that year. But they won the double. I was.
0: Was that like, a good conversation that you had with him? that oh, I loved day, it. Really? Yeah, uh...
1: I loved it, and I think he w- he was surprised that I was interested, <laughs> in. In uh, his story, you know, why he, Matt Busby didn't sign him, for example. And Matt Busby was, was uh, yeah, he said Matt was manager of the Scottish team hmm. for a while when Dave, Dave McKay was in the team. And it looked like he was going to sign him, but he didn't. He got this program and he went and put to, to do what he did. Uh, he was a great player, but he he would he was an instinctive player as well, I
0: think. Dave. Would I be right in saying that uh, a lot of those great Scottish footballers were head cases?
1: Well, they weren't all... I used to find with the Scottish players they were either very, very, very sensible, or wild. <laughs> but they certainly in the Scottish team they definitely had a reputation of at least two or three of them for them being wild. Who were the wild to guys? It's, well, it's Jim Baxter, Jim Baxter. Bacardi, Jim, they call him. <laughs> but I remember Bobby Collins. Then Bobby was an older Scottish international. Bobby was a great player for Celtic before he came down. And and he said he said I heard them talking about Slim Jim. Just call him Slim Jim. He said. He said we had a player years ago, and I remember his name called Billy Steele. He came down for a record free from Scotland to, to Derby. Played for Derby. He said Jim Jim Baxter wouldn't live with Billy Steele. <laughs> so it was a tradition in the Scottish uh, setup yeah. that you had. Like I used to find if it was a wild Scot, he was a wild Scot, <laughs> and if he was, and then you meet the other Scot, would be very very steady type of lads. Like we were lucky at least. Peter Lorimer and, and Eddie Gray were quite. Uh, Gordon McQueen was, was younger. Joe, Joe Jordan was steady as could be, but Gordon was a bit wild. Mm. Uh, but if you got a wild one, I mean, some of the stories you hear about Scottish players in over the years. Don you know, Revy
0: tried to sign Jim Baxter at one stage?
1: That's the story. Don, I think Don told that himself. He went up uh, when Jim, before Jim moved to Rangers, only a young guy. I think he was, pla- I don't know who he was playing for, maybe Airdrie, one of the smaller clubs. And the story was that he went, they heard about him. He was, and he was a gifted player. Uh, there's no doubt about that, Owen. And, uh, he Went to see him. I think he said he was in the mother's house, you know, and he was talking to him. And Don was very particular about who he signed. And he had the list of Jim, you know, he, he was drinking and he was doing this and that. You now, and when he finished the list, Jim said, uh, Just hold it a minute, Don. He said, Everything you got in the list is right. He said, But there's a few things missing
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that he was worse than, than Don right, had on okay. the list. And I think Don said, oh, Left it I, at I that. didn't sign him. Yeah. But, but, uh, and he was see when he was young he was okay uh, he, he, he broke his leg and he apparently when the lads went to see him in the hospital gym he had his Bacardi and Coke bottle of Bacardi and Coke beside him on the you know right. so he never really recovered. So when you get an injury you have to work hard at it and I don't think Jim, he, he was never the same after that
0: All right, but a very gifted lad yeah. yeah the one player John who people well if they followed your analysis closely they might be aware of the respect that you have for him but to figure right up with the great players of all time you've got John Robertson from Nottingham Forest yeah. a winger and uh, before my time but what I would know if this guy was uh, not exactly the most athletic looking yeah. fella in the world but good skill good player I didn't quite realise how, how great he was or how great you think he is
1: Well he was he was, he was sort of a dumpy looking fella John he didn't look uh, much of a player and he played on the left wing and what made him different to the rest on wingers anyway wingers uh, depend on midfield players to dictate the game and get the ball out to them right and then they do their stuff from there but John Robertson's positional sense was so good that he was always in a position to receive the ball and, and not as far as where well it was his great years he played with two ordinary midfield John McGovern and I can't think of the other one ordinary players but he was always they only had to get, give it to John Robertson now he had the unusual ability that he could dictate the game and distribute the ball from the left wing mm. right and also when he got on the edge of the box be able to go past people so he was like two players in one and not as far as wouldn't have done I and mean, he went on to win the European Cup don't forget twice Uh and John uh, Robertson's influence was unbelievable he was the main main man in my H-
0: Had he been uh, an outstanding player before Not, not before Clough got no. there no he was
1: in the reserves they were going to transfer him that and he, he was transformed into this great player but the thing about John was uh, and it, it, it appeals to like it, it didn't look a great athlete. But his effect on the pitch was great. And the reason I, 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 I praise him so much is that, like in my time, he's very seldom mentioned, mm. John Robertson. And this is one of the reasons for doing the book. Uh, like, I've players in my time were regarded as great players. And in my opinion, they weren't nowhere near great players. And there were some players who were great players, never got the the credit. I mean, Paul Scholes would come into that category now. Like when they talk about, when you look back on it, Paul Scholes wouldn't be in the celebrity class. He was never in the top, or Roy Keane in the top three players from the world. Beckham was in it year in and year out. You know he was either just in, in the top three, and I don't think Beckham's effect on the pitch was ever as good as Roy Keane or Paul Scholes. Who
0: stands out from your time as a player in the other camp, the opposite of John Robertson, somebody who was lauded as a great player, but you didn't think that they were on a, necessarily on a weekly basis? Uh,
1: well, there, there was a few players that were known as like sort of characters. There was you know there was Rodney Marsh. Mm. Uh, these would be skillful guys. Frank Worthington. Duncan McKenzie Tony Curry up to a point Tony had the ability to be a great player but he he didn't look I don't think he looked after him but he was a good player but these guys uh, would appeal to the crowd Uh, I mean for example Duncan McKenzie now Duncan's a good lad but Duncan was at the. I played one year with Duncan and Duncan finished second uh, in the supporters player of the year right and we played in the European Cup match the first and he was sent off. We never played another European Cup match. And we got to the final and he didn't play at all the matches in the season. But he appealed to the crowd because he could do a few tricks. He was different. Hmm. You know, but tricks is one, Tricks are one thing. Being effective is another thing. Yeah. Now, I've, no, I've no problem with entertainers because Rodney Marsh could entertain the crowd. But Rodney Marsh went to Manchester City in 1972, I think it was, when they were four or five points ahead in the league. And they, I don't think they finished in the first four. You know, so, so th- these players like they they could, and a lot of them played in mid-table teams where it didn't matter whether you won or whether you lost that much, and you could do tricks, and they became people say, "Oh, he's a great player," but the great players were the guys who did it when the last ten matches when you were going for it, when the, the heat was really on, and that's why I talk about Roy Keane in that in that particular way. Yeah. you know, in the, in the in the game we used to have years ago, it was a saying that are sunshine players, sunshine players, somebody that uh, you're winning three 0 and the, the battle is over give me the ball mm. they can't get enough of it the same guy when you're one down at home in a tough match you're turning his back on it you know Roy Keane was the opposite of the sunshine boy Roy Keane was actually at his best when the team were up against it most you yeah. know I always felt with Roy Keane that we're winning 3-0 you could take Roy Keane off <laughs> and let the sunshine boys get on with it because <laughs> the, but when the, the heat of the battle oh, there's always a stage in the match no matter where it is on, oh, where it's touch and go especially in the tight games you have to battle it battle it battle it and Roy Keane was at his best when when you were at that particular stage the most crucial time if you got two or three up uh, then the Sunshine Boys would take over
0: Alright John we're going to take a quick break here get your text in for John at 53106 also follow us on Twitter at Second Captains Off the ball getting inside the game on News talk 106 to 108 John Giles is going to be signing his new book it's called The Great and the Good in Dublin and Easton's in Dundrum Town Centre at 1 o'clock on Back Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. On, so yeah. People can come along and they can grill you on all of this stuff yes. now. A text in here saying, after hearing about Bacardi Jim Baxter for the first time, <laughs> can I be the first to christen you pint bottle of Bulmer's McDevitt and book fast <laughs> Ken Early? You've started something there, uh, John. Uh, the Brazil 1970 team, uh, you talk about in this book, uh, you, you, the Samba football and everything. Now, you yeah. described that as a, a word I probably can't use. It's in print, though, John. Well, What's that Bullshit was the word that you used the, oh. just the description of it as samba football. And yeah, all the, you, well, you think it's actually that, that's just that's putting a nonsensical tag on what was essentially just straight yeah,
1: well, well, well. you see, the media have the job to do and they, they're always looking for a tag. Yeah, you know, when when the Dutch team came, in, it was uh, total football. You know, what what does total football mean? I know it like was the fullbacks, but say the League United team, we were doing that for. Years beforehand, you know what I mean, and, and a lot of other teams were, but because they were so good, yeah, uh, it was it was total football. You were
0: doing the we'll get back to this, but you were doing the same as yeah, as the Dutch had, teams. Yeah,
1: we we had Terry Cooper and Paul Rini and the fullbacks that'd be coming into the game, making the overlaps and yeah. things like that. You know, but and, and Dutch were, were, were a great team, but it became total football. Mm. Uh, I remember years ago there was a famous sports team in the fifties, and they called it the push and run team. Now, when you when you try and analyse, what does the you get the ball, you push it, and you run. But sometimes if it wasn't right to stop where you were. You know, it was push and run. It's a run where, mm. you, you know. It, but but that's that's the way that they're tagged. Yeah. I mean, samba. I think what happens with the Brazilians, they they are very classy on the ball. You know, they look loose, limbed and they can do it this way. And they can, whereas the Germans would be stiffer. But it's all about effect. Mm. And like Beckenbauer, for example, his touch, his first touch, which is the most important one, would be as good as any of the Brazilian players. Mm. But he wouldn't look quite as. And they call it samba. You know, it was, it was like a. They were, but they were, they were very great, effective players. The '70 team was regarded, you know, as, as people have said, the best team they ever. Who were old enough to remember them
0: You spent a bit of time in 1974 with the Brazilian team. I'm very
1: little, on Right. I, I, I the, the, like the backdrop to us, we played against them in Brazil, and we there was a build-up to the '74 World Cup, and a few of the teams had gone, and they parked the bus as they say nowadays, and they didn't. We had a go at them. They beat us two-one, but it was a good workout for them, and uh, they, they decided to invite me. Uh, as a guest for the World Cup in '74, where I only went out to training camp once. Training camp, yeah. And they were they were very, you know, they were very nice lads. lads like, ah, they were good lads. You yeah, got a yeah. sense
0: about Pele though, and how even though he was gone by that stage, uh, great affection was, for him. They loved yeah, him still.
1: Yeah. Well, Rivellino, there was a few lads still playing in the team uh, from the '70 team, like yeah. Rivellino, Jarzinho and that, and like they didn't have much English But I'd be talking a little bit in Pele. Oh, they loved Pele.
0: Yeah. yeah, John. People be interested in your best Republic of Ireland team. I'm what? not going to read it out here because that's it, we'll let people. Read that one out in the book. I'm wondering how many sleepless nights you had trying to decide who was going to go in there.
1: Well, the, 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 like it's very, very, t- very difficult to pick the best team ever because you always think the lads you're leaving out, mm. you know, because you only pick eleven and it's only so. The, the, that that would be the whatever I have in the book would be the team. Did, no, it didn't take long. Did not? You just, no, no, you, just, you just say, well, that's, yes, that's that, it. Yeah, you know. And, and, I suppose and, it is only a
0: fictional team, so you don't have to. Yeah, not don't don't have to them on the, on the pitch. Yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. But you, you do like the look of it as as it but looks, a lot right? of
1: people will read that and say, no, I don't agree with that. That's that's part of the game. You know, it's like lads in pub to talking about football. It's a discussion. Yeah. And people won't always agree with with uh, everybody's opinion. They have different opinions of their own.
0: You talked about Roy Keane being the man you wanted at the the height of battle. Ryan Giggs is another modern player who you've never you've just been reluctant to bestow the tag of greatness upon. Can you talk to us about precisely why that is? What yeah. he does at say something like Roy Keane or what he doesn't do to something like Roy Keane would do.
1: Well, first of all I think I I'd have heightened respect for, for, for Giggs. I think he's been a great servant to Manchester United, a really great servant and good attitude and that I always felt when he was playing his final ball wasn't as good as it should have been mm. you know he was a bit careless and and, and and I'm being critical of him highly critical of him now but I'm talking about like when sometimes he'd get into great positions he'd get to the end line and he wouldn't pick somebody out and now sometimes he did but not as regularly as he should have done yeah. you know good, great attitude and a great servant to Manchester United but I think he was, he was a little bit too careless in his head when he got into these vital positions, Th- so
0: that's concentration as yeah. opposed to technique yeah. or yeah. skill level. Yeah, you know?
1: I, I always found if, if now, and I'm not, I'm not putting myself above Ryan Giggs or anybody else. But when I, if I got into a final position to cross the ball, mm. there's something that would click in my head. Concentrate on that. Make sure you get it there. Make sure you do it properly. Because there's no point in getting in those positions after good work and not getting that final ball across. Yeah. You know, and I just felt that when Ryan Giggs got into that position. He didn't get that click in his head. It mm. was Sometimes it was right, sometimes it was over the bar, sometimes it was in the goalkeeper's hands from the positions that he was in. Mm. But a great servant for Manchester United, no doubt about that.
0: Of the players playing today, is it Leo Messi who's oh, well, the highest up on this list? I think so.
1: I think he's the outstanding player in the world yeah. today. I mean, the position he plays in, which is forward, as we know, can get on the ball, he can turn on, he can go as quick as lightning, he's brave, works hard, scores his goals... Like he'd 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 be up there, you know. I don't like the best ever tag because people will talk talk about Messi's best, and they haven't seen. I think we've spoken about this, people, Pele and and uh, Buskers and Di Stefano. Yeah. and you're saying, well, you, what you to say is the best I've seen.
0: So you're not trying to in this book. You're not trying to t- say who your number one footballer of all time is, who the second best footballer of all time is. It's just well, your I'd say Bobby or... Charlton
1: would come out in that as, as yeah. uh, but but. Uh, because I played with him and yeah. that. but but he wouldn't Bobby was a midfield player Messi's a forward but when you talk about Messi, Cruyff uh, Maradona uh, Pele and all yeah. these guys they're great in their time and they're great at what they do
0: but it's very difficult to say he was the best ever Last quick one of this John because the, your your memory for players and for stories is really clear with people read this book but they'll be well aware of it anyway but you talked about Dave Mackay being a bit surprised that you were interested in his football story have you had that reaction over the years do you sometimes you're that that curious and passionate about football maybe not all ex-professionals very are. few of them are yeah.
1: funny enough now like I've, I, if I made up with the Leeds lads I was, I'd was i be well good pals with them all but Peter Larmor Peter scored 250 goals for, for Leeds and he was a great goal scorer and I'd say to Peter Peter, remember we played We played Spurs in, say, 71 and you, you, and you scored some cracker, you know, and, and you caught one on the volley, you know, from 20, 30 and screaming screamed in the back of the night. I think we won 1-0, Peter. Don't remember the match. Okay. Don't remember scoring. Couldn't remember the goals that he scored himself. Yeah. And, and Norman would be the same. What year was that? You know, and I'd say, well, we played such and such. And I don't. maybe it's just me, but I I'd, 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 they'd be in my head you know yeah. like the, the, these pl- plant printed into my, my brain but most I just found that with experience very very few of the players Eddie Gray would, would would take more interest but most of the other lads would say don't remember that
0: Okay well you remember plenty John it's all in there yeah. Listen, thanks so, so. so much thanks Wait, so well. I wouldn't say Brigardi Jim remembers too much either says uh, <laughs> uh, our producer here we'll be back after 8 <laughs> o'clock news Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.